my friends, and welcome to the Experience Our Industry podcast. I am Dr. Brian Greenwood, and I am super excited to be here today with Olivia Miller. How are you, Olivia? <laughs> Hi, I'm great. Uh, How are you doing? I'm doing so great. Um, you all cannot see Olivia, although I have to say, you know, you you um, you work for YouTube. I should be doing this. I should be doing this on YouTube. Also, I've been wondering whether I need to like. I know all the podcasts. Yeah, all the podcasts now are doing like the multicast. So uh, I guess eventually I'm going to have to make that jump. But I should have made the jump with you. I'm sorry. I, I apologize. <laughs> but okay, uh, we'll Olivia. Yeah, Olivia is wearing a Masters 2021 hat. And those who um, who know me know that I got into golf over the pandemic. So we've been chatting about that. So I can't wait for her to tell her story about the Masters. But um, let me introduce you first, Olivia, and we'll get into all that. So Olivia is a 2015 graduate of our program, and she currently serves as a strategic partner manager um, for creator acquisitions at YouTube, um, a company that I'm sure a couple of you have heard of. Um, and so I spend way too much of my time on YouTube, uh, Olivia. So we'll get into that as well. Um, but let's go back in time. Tell us where you're from originally. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in San Diego. Uh, North County, San Diego, in a town, Encinitas, California, which is yeah. a great town that I actually am currently living just 15 minutes north of Encinitas in Carlsbad. So Southern yeah. California girl, and I'm so happy to be back after moving around quite a bit post uh, high school. I love it. That is awesome. I It just seems like such an amazing um, spot. Everyone I've ever met from that spot is... Uh, I don't know. Something about the beach vibe like makes you makes you makes you pretty cool. Uh, so I love it. That's awesome. What did your folks do when you were growing up? My dad was a stockbroker ah. uh, for his whole career, and then moved kind of into financial management towards ah. the end. He just retired this uh, last year, so nice. uh, retirement suits him. My family says he he goes golfing it. a couple times a week. He nice. he loves it. And um, my mom, yes, congrats to him. And my mom uh, had a career in the airline industry. She did sales and marketing for Continental Airlines. And then when I was uh, probably like kindergarten-ish, she became a stay-at-home mom. So I got my mom home with me for my whole uh, time living at home, which was really nice. Awesome. Yeah, well, we share that in common as well. That's really cool. Um, what about, uh, what about, uh, siblings, any siblings growing up? Yes. Yeah. Yep. I have, uh, one brother and he's 18 months older than I am. And he yeah. also is a Cal Poly grad. Thought so I, I remembered thought... that about you. Yeah. What's his name? Or tell me what his major was. Danny Orndine is his name. And he oh. was a Bray major bioresource ag engineering. Oh, in cafes with us. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right on. Shout out Danny. 
shout out Danny. He uh, was a huge reason why I decided to to go to Cal Poly. Obviously, I yeah. I got to drop him off at school and and see what amazing place San Luis Obispo was. So whether he liked it or not, I was like, I'm coming. <laughs> a little sis followed him. I love yeah. it. I love. I'm sure he looked out for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. so we ended up actually kind of falling within the same friend group uh, near the end of college and no now have all like the same friends. So it's, it's actually really, really nice. And that is cool. uh, yeah, we've, we've prioritized our friendship ever since Cal Poly and it's oh. been um, really nice that we got to share, share college together. Yeah. That just warms my heart. I have, um, you know, I have two, uh, 13 and a 15 year old now, which you're uh, okay. probably shocked to hear, but um. So that just warms my heart to hear that because I, you know, as a parent, you hope that your kids are going to, you know, your brothers and sisters are going to eventually be friends, you know, growing up, sometimes there's fighting or picking on each other or whatever, but, um, (laughs) but it's so great whenever I hear that. Um, Tell us about uh, young Olivia. What was your jam? What were you into growing up? Oh my gosh. What was my jam? I feel like my jam growing up and my jam now hasn't even changed that much. I mean, my family and friends have been such a huge priority in my life since I was a little girl. And what's really special about now, like coming back to live in San Diego is I'm still best friends with some of the girls I grew up with. And we've all kind of gone off and, and started our careers. And now we're all back in the same kind of area, which is so special. Um, I, in, in high school, I mean, I was super involved in different sports and, and clubs I did in uh-huh. high school volleyball and cheerleading. And I even did like the, the play my senior year. So I was like, not afraid to try it all. Um, right. just whatever I could do kind of with my, with my friends and, yeah. um, yeah, That's that was neat. kind of my jam. That's awesome. I love it. Well, you know, I've added this glory day segment, which I really love. Um, so you get to relive your glory days. Tell us what you're most proud of before, before making your way to Cal Poly. Is there anything that, um, that you want to brag about or, you know, uh, an, an achievement or, or something that you did before college that, that, um, you know, when you're, when you're looking back through the scrapbooks with your, uh, with the next generation, you you can say, yeah, I did this. Anything like that? That's a great question. Um, This isn't really like one profound thing, but I think what kind of is different about my upbringing is, you know, I went to elementary school and middle school at the public school in my town, made, like I said, some of my best friends ever in kindergarten. And then in high school, actually, or eighth grade came around, my parents really wanted me to try out like the new Catholic high school that was in uh, Del Mar, a couple of towns up. And uh-huh. of course, I was a little terrified to be the brand new kid at a new school where I didn't know anyone. Nice. Um, but I, you know, took it, took it on by storm. And I went to this new school. And not only did I, you know, meet some other of the most incredible people ever but i also was able to kind of combine those two worlds and those two friend friend groups and that are now to this day some of like their friendships are some of the strong i love connecting people it's something that is so um near and dear to my heart and i've kind of taken that throughout my whole life so i think just doing that 
huge transition at such a like vulnerable age of 14 or whatever it was and um, made the most of it and, you know, still have such strong relationships from both from both worlds. I think that's just something I look back on really fondly and I'm proud of my younger self for embracing it um, when it is a really scary time for for a 14 year old. Yeah, 100%. I absolutely love that. That is such a um that's such a great a great thing and um it just again it you keep warming my heart, Olivia. I love that. Like uh <laughs> friendships, you know, um during the um during the pandemic, it was uh that that personal connection was so hard on so many people and um it, it makes you appreciate it makes you appreciate friends even more. And so it's really, really great to hear you say that. So we've already, you know, we've already fast forwarded a little bit. We heard how you uh, how you found out about Cal Poly. And uh, but but, <laughs> you know, so I know it wasn't just your your older brother. What what else attracted you to Cal Poly? Tell us the story about making your way here to slow. Of course. So um I, I still remember like getting that congratulatory email from Cal Poly and it was it I will say probably wasn't my top school my senior year I didn't think that's where I was gonna go but what's actually funny I do have to give a shout out to one of my best friends back to bed friendship my best friend in high school her name was Amy Wright also a Cal Poly uh grad she and I were determined our senior year, like, let's go be freshman year roommates at college. And yeah. we kind of like, we're like, let's apply to all the same schools. Let's see what happens. And, you know, I really wanted to go to University of Washington, but I got waitlisted there. And we both got into Cal Poly and, you know, sitting down and like looking at it long term and like the financials and how great of a school Cal Poly is for someone in state who wants a really good education, but also wants to do it in a way that is actually somewhat affordable rather than going to those, some of those big out of state universities. My dad, my dad, um, you know, was saving money for my brother and I to go to college. And then when it came, when we turned 18, he signed over everything he had saved for us and said, this is what I've saved for you. And you manage how you manage, you write the checks for your tuition. You Mm -hmm. do all of that. And that really taught me, okay, well, this is what I have. Like this can, I can get a lot further with this at Cal Poly than I could at some of these other bigger universities that I was dreaming up, you know, the big football school or the big, right. like all right. of that I kind of envisioned for myself. And then right. my, my friend, Amy was like, Cal Poly was her dream school. She's like, it would be so fun. So I was like, you know what? I, I've checked Cal Poly out with my brother. Me and my best friend are going to be freshman year roommates. Yeah. It's, it's close enough, but far enough from home. And like, uh-huh. it all just started to make sense. So for all of those reasons, I was pretty bought in on Cal Poly and that's it. that's what we decided and by like spring quarter of our senior year of high school I was like could not be more excited to go start my freshman year at Cal Poly that's awesome that's awesome and now uh, it was definitely UW's loss to uh to not, <laughs> not get you not get you up there so I'm glad I'm glad uh that uh, I'm glad that happened and we have another thing in common my best friend and I we also were were freshman year roommates at mm-hmm. UNC together and uh that's pretty special because, you know, I think um, it's I, I hear students talk about all the time, kind of that scary, you know, how scary it is. And, and um, you know, to have your best friend right there with you navigating it. Oh, is pretty it was special. the best. Yeah, it was the best. Yeah, it's pretty special for sure. 
so let's talk now about your time at Cal Poly. So I asked this next question, um, Olivia, it's, it's that that two-part question, right? So the the first one, and as I look over to the side and I see my best friend looking at me over here in the picture, <laughs> but um, uh, the first question is um, those enduring moments, like when you look back and you think about your four years or um, however long you were, were here in school, is there a time or a memory that really stands out? Um, and then and then I'll ask you a professional development question. Sure. Uh, well, I mean, my time at Slow is the most like sacred four years of, of my brain memory. Like I think about it so fondly and I truly believe the people that go to Cal Poly are some of like the just salt of the earth people. And again, I, I met my best friends at Cal Poly. And I, um, I think like the, the, a major just memory is my experience in Greek life at Cal Poly. I was in Sigma Kappa. I loved my sorority. I loved my friends that I made, made through it that are still my best friends to this day. Um, who I lived with all throughout college. It, yeah. it was, um, just such a core part of my college experience woven through. And I, we can yeah. get to like maybe how I ended up in uh, my major and whatnot, but my sorority was a huge part of that, I would say. Yeah. And then uh, another, I would be remiss if I did not mention my experience studying abroad my junior year. I studied in San Sebastian, Spain, which was a, a place that, I had never even heard of before coming to Cal Poly and then learned about it through some friends who also studied there. And I'm actually Basque myself and it's in Basque region. So I got to kind of explore my roots and travel the world in uh, a semester with, you know, 20 of my best friends. So that was really, really special. And I, I'm so grateful for that opportunity at Cal Poly. I bet it's so, it's so awesome. You know, we have, um, We've really doubled down on on study abroad here at Cal Poly and really, really promoting it even more because of people like you who just continue. We continue over and over and over again, hearing from people about what an amazing experience it was for them. And so um, just love, absolutely love hearing that. And then, you know, also love hearing about your sorority. You know, I think a lot of people um, have a tendency to overlook um, how important student clubs can be for the fabric of your experience, you know, and, 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 and since we've made this transition, right, to, to experience industry management and experience design and all of that, I mean, that's part of it, right? I mean, you can get some really amazing experience, um, co-creating experiences with like a group of a hundred women or, you know, uh, 500, uh, co-eds or whatever it might be, whatever club you're in, you know, or whether it's something small, like, you know, the, the disc golf club at Cal Poly or something like that. Like there's so many different, co-creation experiences that you can get out of it and learn by doing is not just the classroom. That's the thing, like um, getting out there and really experiencing it, you can make it into something that's um, that's really special. So I appreciate you sharing that. Let's talk about professional development. I know you weren't someone who just, um, you know, uh, went through your four years and didn't get out there. I know you, I know you got out there and you did lots of different things, whether it be 
working for Cliffs or Dolphin Bay or um, or Parker uh, Sandpai, um, uh, public relations, uh, marketing, that sort of thing. Tell us um, when you look back at the the professional development opportunities that you had while you were here at Cal Poly. Is there something that really stands out that helped to propel you? Yeah, I mean, I I feel like this this major set me up for success I didn't even realize at the time that helped me so much kind of going into my career. Like I actually came in uh, to Cal Poly as an ethnic studies major. So I was not initially um, in, I want to keep saying RPTA, but I know we changed the name. So what do we call it? It's fine because um, RPTA is still the name of the degree. So you're fine to say RPTA. I say that everyone knows what I'm talking about. Yes. Our classes Uh, are still RPTA. Yeah. So it's perfectly, that's perfectly cool. Okay. And, and I'm glad you I'm glad you brought that up because I was I had in my head to to ask you about that. Tell us about that pathway from ethnic studies. Yes. Yeah, so I um I actually came in with ethnic studies thinking I wanted to transfer already to psychology. I thought when I was a freshman, I wanted to be a therapist. That's kind of what I career wise saw for myself. Uh-huh. And Um, so I was kind of already taking some of the prerequisites to get ready to apply for a transfer of major and, uh, kind of at the same time, I was getting really involved with my sorority and different events happening and the recruitment process. So I was helping a lot with event planning at my, um, sorority house. And I realized how much I was enjoying that and how good I was at it, at the kind of organization planning and execution of of an event and then i quickly learned about the rpta major and kind of the event planning world within it and i was like oh my gosh like this is so fun that this is even a major like this is exactly more of what uh what i'm after and what i think i i'm my 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 career visions and everything totally changed with with that realization and so i by my sophomore year, transferred over to the RPTA major. Um, a couple other of my friends were in it as well. So that's kind of how I learned about it. And um, and then from there, I, you know, it was not uncommon for, I feel like people in our major to have jobs at the local hotels or doing like kind of local event type of stuff. So um, I got a job at the, working the front desk at the Cliffs Resort uh, that I think I had for about two years throughout college. And I really enjoyed that. It taught me a lot about just the hospitality industry in general, which is relevant for any kind of career. I think you go in and just like customer service, um, you know, have employee relations, different things. So I, um, I really enjoyed my, my time working at the cliffs and simultaneously kind of doing some banquet serving stuff at dolphin Bay right next door. Um, so that was, that was really helpful, I think, in just understanding like the the hotel management side of the world. I did realize like that's not what I wanted to pursue, but I knew right. that experience was kind of invaluable uh, mm-hmm. and and just a really good job to have while in college. And then my uh, senior year internship at Parker Sanpei PR was great because that was a very small PR firm based in downtown San Luis Obispo who often hired an intern from the RPTA major. And um, I was given like a ton of responsibility at a, at a really young age, helping put on like the cab collective event up in Paso with different wineries and um, you know, working on certain accounts that I could be of help. So it just, 
if that was a more of an account management type of role, which mm-hmm. I think was already a, a good thing to have on my resume going into senior year, kind of mm-hmm. career fair time and figuring out where I wanted my my first job to be. Um, and then I will. So those are all kind of slow local things I was doing. So I think it was I was really lucky that my the major let, you know, I had time in my schedule that I was able to work and go to school at the same time. And those types of jobs that I did have were pretty flexible within a student's schedule to, you know, work with me on when I could work. Um, And then I will say my uh, summer going into my senior year of college, I went to New York City and worked at an experiment uh, intern at an experiential marketing company um, that was more than the experience of working at the company. That was my like tester to see if I wanted to move to New York City when I graduated from college. Um, I always thought I wanted to move to New York City when I graduated. Mm -hmm. And that was a really good trial run to see how I would like it. If that that line of work is something I was interested in or, you know, if I should pivot a little bit. So um, that was what I did come out of that internship knowing is, number one, I definitely wanted to move to New York. But number two, I might actually not want to be as involved in the events industry Uh, as like that directly. Um, That's why I kind of uh, pivoted a bit. Yeah. for my first job out of out of college. I love it. I love it. And that's, you know, um, I think a couple of different things that you said really resonate um, based on my experience and from talking to to a lot of people um, in our in our industry and, and our alum and, and whatnot. And, and that is that you have to get yourself out there so you can kind of cross off you know, maybe what you don't want to do. Right. And, um, and, 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 but at the same time, I love that, um, that you also grew from the experience and you got something out of the experience. I think sometimes people have a tendency to think to themselves, well, I wasted my time, you know, like, no, not at all. Like that you grow from any experience that, that, that you, that you have. And, um, or, or you should, right? Like, hopefully we can grow, right? Or find some way to make it a positive. Um, and so I, I love hearing that. And um, so let's talk about, let's talk about the post, um, post Cal Poly. And I should say, shout out to Linda, Linda Parker, uh, Sanpai, uh, Sanpai has uh, been a great supporter of our program for many years. And so shout out to Linda there. But um, so let's talk about that post Cal Poly, you know, making the move. That's, um, that's, that's really, it takes a lot of wherewithal to make the move to New York city. Obviously you had a little bit of taste from, from your summer there, but let's Mm -hmm. talk about that experience. So you work for news America marketing as a sales account coordinator, um, during your, uh, the summer after your graduation and then moving in, you were there, I guess, uh, about a year, Tell us about that experience, how you got that position. Um, it sounds like that was a lot of advertising and marketing, that sort of thing, sales. Uh, yeah. Tell us about that experience and what was your big takeaway? Yeah. So um, I actually got that job through the Cal Poly Career Fair. So huge shout out for the Cal Poly Career Fair. I've always said that about Cal Poly. It's like people go to Cal Poly, get good jobs after. Yeah. like they And they set yeah. you up for success there. Like I signed my offer letter by November of my senior year. So I was like, and 
so was able to just kind of have a good time the rest of my senior year, knowing I had already locked in my job after college. So I went to the Cal Poly career fair with an open mind. Like I knew sales was definitely something I would um, be interested in and definitely and at least to start my career, there's a lot of entry level sales mm -hmm. programs at different companies. And I think it's a really good place to start if you are open to it. And then you can always kind of transfer internally or figure out if it's for you mm -hmm. or figure out if it's not like, again, back to your point of like, you have to try things to know if they're for you or not. So um, right. I had, I was interviewing with a couple companies and News America did some on-campus interviews and then for some finalists, they flew us out to New York again for to go to their headquarters, which is, you know, right across the street from like Rockefeller Center, right in the middle of the city. It's kind of like one of those moments where you're like, oh my gosh, like we're here, we're doing this. <laughs> I was gonna say, isn't that yeah. right there? Yeah, that's awesome. It was it was amazing. And um I accepted that job and I accepted New York as my office location to start in the following August. So mm -hmm. I um I got there, moved to New York. One of my good friends from Cal Poly also was moving to New York. So we nice. uh, did it together. Again, I think it, it makes the world of difference if you have a partner in, in yeah. crime for these yeah. kind of life moments with. But Shared, uh, you, shared a you guys shared a closet together? Pretty much. She like lived in the <laughs> living room. I lived in like an eight by seven foot bedroom. Uh, it, was, it was exactly what you could imagine for our, our first like starting salary NYC apartments. Yeah, that's um, awesome. But uh, I, I was just excited to be there. I was excited to learn. I was excited to see if sales, I, I mean, sales is something that I thought, oh, I could do this. Like I, you know, and I, I still do think that about sales. I think that the attributes and like characteristics you need to be a good salesperson are transferable to like anything you could possibly want to do as a career. So I thought there's yeah, no, yeah. there's no con of doing this. Um, I, you know, I was also like drinking the Kool-Aid of like, you know, wanting to work my way up that company. I, I could see myself there. I thought, they had like, a, we had probably 40 new grads starting in on the same day. So we were kind uh -huh. of all in it together. There was yeah. some healthy competition about it. And I, I was into it. Yeah. Um, But unexpectedly, about eight months in, I got reached out to via LinkedIn from a uh, recruiter looking for someone to do like a contracted position at Google New York. A wow. sales role actually is what he re reached out about. Um, uh -huh. And in New York, I've I always walked by like the Google building. It's it's down in the Chelsea area. It's it's a beautiful big building, right? Including Chelsea Market. Google occupies Chelsea Market as well. So yeah. I always was like kind of in the back of my mind, oh my gosh, how cool would it be to work here? Like right. I, I but how would I even know how to begin to work here? I'm only like 22 years old. Right. Uh, so when I got that email, I was like, oh my gosh, like even if it's a contracted position, like a foot yeah. in the door at Google is a foot in the door at Google. So I kind of hit it off with this recruiter. We talked on the phone and um, one thing led to another. The sales role that he initially reached out about was closed, but he said he had a recruiting position available at Google um, for a six month contract if I was interested in applying or like interviewing for that. So I went through the interviewing process. It was a contracted position to cover someone who was out on mat leave. So it was like a six month thing. Yeah. Um, but to me, it was, like I said, a foot in the door at Google. And I was like, if I go 
there and I work as hard as I can and I meet people and I show them that I'm, you know, uh, a, a value add to the team, like, and maybe it'll, it'll work out somehow. Maybe I'll meet someone else yeah. who's hiring or whatever. I, it was worth the risk to me to try and go over and leave my full-time job for this contract position. And I, I had no fear of doing that. I said like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to work as hard as I can and, and kind of believe that everything would work out the way it was supposed to. So that's what I did. Um, like in about eight months after I moved to New York, I transferred to Google as a contractor and began a role as an internal mobility specialist was the name of the role at the time, yeah. Yeah. which is basically a recruiter that um, only handles internal candidates ah. that are and at a company like Google, that's so massive. Right. They yeah. need recruiters that just handle internal candidates only. Right. Uh, so that is, that is what I, I decided to do. And it was the best decision I could have made because it, Seven years later, I'm still here. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, I love it. And um, I just love the story of a California girl walking by the Google headquarters in, uh, in New York City, right? And uh, yeah. and uh, and getting your foot in the door and, and running with it. And um, so let's talk about um, how after, you know, so you had the contract. And so I, I love what you said about you know, believing in yourself and and investing in yourself and, and saying, hey, I can do this and I can I know I can show them that um, that I belong, so to speak. Right. So tell us how you got that first position. So you um, you ended up becoming an administrative business partner for in um, in the global client and agency solutions department. Right. And uh yeah. Tell us about that, and um, and then um, let's get into that that experience. And tell us about you know working up to to telling us about the masters. <laughs> <laughs> perfect, perfect segue. Yeah. So, um, when I was there on the contract, I really did take advantage of you know being in the building and meeting as many people as I could, and it it was actually a not an uncommon. Uh, transition for a we call they were called I think they still are TVCs like temp vendor contractor is um, contracted people who come and work at Google for these stints you know some contracts get renewed yearly whatever mine was six months so um, it was clear that there wasn't going to be a position that opened up on the recruiting team I was on but there was an open position for an administrative business partner role on the global sales team, which is that. And uh, the uh, the gal who was leaving that role to and was like trying to kind of help backfill her, she started the exact same way I did as a contractor on this same recruiting team. So she actually reached out to my uh, manager on the recruiting team saying, hey, like I'm leaving, I'm internally transferring to another team. I'm looking for someone, I'm helping hire this that I've been doing the last two years. Right. Do you have anyone right now that would be a good fit? And they immediately thought of me. So I went and met her and and then I interviewed with uh, the executives that I would be supporting. And for those listening, an administrative business partner role at Google is similar to an executive assistant. They support the team. Uh, they support the leaders that they're assigned, usually around two to three 
executives and their teams. They sit in on leadership meetings. They plan all of the offsites for the team. They manage travel expenses, those types of things as well. But you have a you're really plugged into like whatever business unit you're supporting. You learn a ton again. So like it, it to me, it sounded like a great fit to just a like learn the business. Like maybe if I wanted to go back to sales, this would be a good place to start to to meet people to also understand what a sales position at Google looks like mm-hmm. and um, just grow my network. So I think it was about six, like almost five, six months into my contract, I took the full-time position as an administrative business partner, um, supporting this global sales organization. I had three directors that I was supporting um, all, you know, on the East coast. So it was a, it was a really good transition and it was a role that I loved. Like I think back to that role super fondly. I, I got to, it was because it was a global team. I really got to reap the benefits of, traveling internationally. Mm-hmm. I got to plan offsites, so internal offsites for the team um, in Dublin, Ireland, in Paris, France, in Milan, Italy. I got to go to the uh, Can Lion Festival in you know Nice, France. I got to uh, go to the Masters. As I told you, it was like truly a dream for a 23-year-old living in New York. Like I was truly living my best life. Setting. <laughs> it was the perfect thing. I, I was, you know, supporting such incredible leaders that I what was who treated me like such a, a part of their core team. And um, it was just a really, really good fit for me at that time. And that was like a perfect example of all the stuff I learned in my major at RPTA coming to yeah. action, like in that role. It re- it truly was like, I was focused on event planning in, uh, in RPTA and oh my gosh, was I doing so much event planning in yeah. this role. I bet. I bet. Yeah. So tell us about the masters. So you said two different <laughs> times you got to yeah. go to the masters. And so what did you plan? Were you like, planning the hospitality side of, um, of the masters. I know that, um, you know, I know from experience in, in being, um, a sport management guy, obviously (laughs) I know that, um, hospitality at these, at the, at the major tournaments is a big thing, right? And there's lots and lots and lots of, of business going on and hospitality tents and all of that. Is that what you were doing? Were you planning that aspect? Pretty much. Um, over that time that I was supporting the sales executives, we had, um, I think, a three-year contract for Berkman's Pl- Google had a three-year contract for Berkman's Place passes at the Masters, which is a like kind of VIP experience at the Masters. So it was small, 12, 12 tickets per year. So that were kind of saved for our biggest clients, right? And so my director that I was supporting was the Google person who went and hosted them. So with that came a slew of planning and jigsaw to make sure the right people were there and that they were, you know, accommodated. And we had, um, I think three or four different homes rented in, uh, 
Augusta that we're all on the same street. You know, uh-huh. we had kind of catering saying at one. So then we had the host house that we would throw dinners at every night. Uh-huh. And the, you know, pa- and we had different like kind of, sl- we'd have some executives. And these are like CMOs of big, big companies that yeah. were clients of Google's that would come and they would, uh-huh. you know, might may- maybe had like Wednesday, Tuesday, Wednesday passes. And then new people would come for Thursday, Friday, and new people would come for Saturday, Sunday. So it was a lot of just like, oh my uh, and, I, and I would partner with the marketing department to help, you know, like different teams were involved in, in uh, making it happen. But I would say my role in it all was like truly the point person and, and who was there from the start to the finish to make sure everything went on without yeah. any issues and that everyone was happy and situated yeah. and knew where they were going. And I liaised with the the catering, the drivers, the um, all of it. And of course the perk of that is with last minute cancellations, my boss is like, here you go, you're coming with. So I got to go uh, a couple days each year I went, which was yeah. great. That is so awesome. And let me just say this, I'm sure that our listeners, um, or, or, or a lot of our listeners realize this, but I'm going to go ahead and say it anyway. Um, to the the fact that um, someone had faith in you to do uh, and take care of all of that at such a young age shows what an amazing person you are and what an amazingly talented professional you are because uh, that is like big time. Augusta is big time <laughs> and uh, and the Masters and Augusta National is big time and they just they don't just let anybody take care of things like that. So that says a ton about you, Olivia. Um, let's talk about um, let's talk about YouTube. You know, I told you earlier I was going to ask some dumb questions um, <laughs> on our on our uh, time together here. So you're gonna you're gonna um, have to you're gonna have to. Um, I'm not a boomer. I was going to make a boomer joke. I'm, a, I'm Generation X, but um, but I do um, I, I do wonder uh, how it all works, and so you're going to have to help me out here. So Olivia, as I said earlier, she is a strategic partner manager for Creator Acquisitions. Um, So I want you to, first of all, tell us what that means and what you do on a daily basis at YouTube now. Okay, so I am on what we can call the Creator Partnerships team. So um the strategic partner manager role typically manages a portfolio of YouTube creators who are the ones who put content on the platform that makes money for YouTube. So think of like the big creators who have a lot of subscribers or a lot of watch time, a lot of views, um, and YouTube runs ads against all of that content in order to make it free for everyone to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and those advertising dollars is what, uh, you know, funds YouTube and Google, as well as these creators, we have a 55 45 revenue split on the advertisements run on the content. So Mm -hmm. that's a really, I would say generous monetization model that, um, you know, creators have the ability to earn a lot of revenue ad revenue on YouTube if they are consistent and and grow an audience and uh, post content. So most of the creators that we work with, you know, this is their full-time job is putting content onto YouTube 
and um, that's how they make their living. So with like any kind of company that uh, makes their majority of their revenue from something, they need a person to talk to or a, a kind of an account manager. So that's what the strategic partner manager role is, is they're the, that one-on-one -on -one point of contact for YouTube creators to reach out to. We, you know, help them grow their, their channels. We help get them opportunities for different, um, whether it be events, speaking engagements, you know, potential like brand opportunities. Um, right. We're just kind of that point person. So it, they're like an account manager in a way, but instead of, you know, working with companies, they we work with creators. And a lot of the times these creators are companies already because of the, the size that, that they are. So um, that is kind of the, the gist of what the SPM role is and what our team does. I love it. Thank you so much. I, I, I sort of thought I knew what you did and, and you, you just verified that I kind of did. So I don't think I'm going to ask you any dumb questions now. <laughs> so I have, um, you know, I, when I, when I saw Olivia that, that you were working for YouTube, I, I, um, I, I obviously jumped at wanting to bring you on because, um, I am one that obviously I grew up in the in the cable age, right? Like I, I I grew up where, well, actually, my parents did not even have cable. I didn't get cable television until I went to college, and um, and then I got addicted to Sports Center for a little while. Like I would watch like ESPN like twenty four seven, you know, because I didn't have it growing up. Um, mm -hmm. But I am one that has been, um, a, you know, I guess for my for my generation, more of a early adopter on things, you know. So for the last year or so, I told you I got really into golf. I have found myself a lot of times like wanting to watch golf content on YouTube. Yeah. So like, um Rick Shields um, and um, and Good Good Golf and some of these other creators, right? I find myself, Bob does sports even, like I find myself like watching these things rather yeah. than watching like live TV, you know, which YouTube has me there too, you know, because I have <laughs> YouTube TV, right? And so I spend so much of my time on YouTube. And then recently, I'm embarrassed to say that I've become a doom scroller also uh, with the shorts. <laughs> And so yeah. I just feel like, and everyone I've talked to, I feel like they're doing the same thing. And so it's almost like it's, uh, it's actually unreal how many eyes YouTube is getting now. I and, know. So, and so what I want to ask you is two things. We'll start with the negative first so that when then we we don't so we don't end with the negative, right? What do okay. you see? What did you what do you see as the challenges moving ahead, right? You're on the front lines of this like new era that we are in. So what do you see as the challenges when you think about navigating what we have ahead of us? Oh gosh, it's that's a a great question. And the first thing that comes to my mind is like it does come back to just the attention spans of people and like eyeballs are everything. Right. And we've, we're seeing this like life cycle of, of media and how it, you know, like you said, started with cable and now we're, we're seeing so much less of that and so much more time spent 
on screens, on the phone and the scrolling and the endless scrolling. And, but now that there's, you know, there's so many platforms who are in the space. So there's, it's almost, just, it's like a race for the, a race for, for the eyeballs of, you know, Gen Z viewers and where are millennials watching and are people, you know, shifting from long form to short form. And it's just these kind of like new age problems that we're dealing with that we have never dealt with before because at the at the pace that technology is moving yeah. is pretty incredible and i think the pandemic was like a pivotal time in oh, in technology yeah. and you know uh short form content is a, a huge focus area for my team i've spent a lot of time i i started working on the shorts product right when it launched in 2020 and did you so really? I've been really invested kind of in the short form space and um, you know, with the boom of TikTok and like it's 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 birthed a whole new type of creator, like the short form creator. Yep. So I think you know, a challenge is figuring out what what a short form creator looks like in this ecosystem of what was traditionally YouTube creators were more doing long form. So now with the shorts and it's just it's just a new kind of world, but it's a it's a good thing. It's not even a negative i think it's just kind of navigating these like uncharted waters and making sure that youtube still stays really competitive and compensating creators the best um and making sure creators still feel like youtube is the go-to place that they can make a living gotcha. i would say gotcha. yeah 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 that that's really that's really awesome so i i, I didn't even realize i so I, now we got to dig into this really quick before we get into the opportunities so you were you were when you when YouTube launched Shorts, you were you were part of that. Oh yeah. So um, going back to like my title, which is the Creator Acquisitions Team. So my team is focused on um, helping creators who have a really large following off of YouTube uh -huh. be successful on YouTube. So bringing that means okay. bringing them in and helping them grow and bringing their audience with them, hopefully. So um, I, in 2020, I started on this team, going from more of the traditional SPM role, which I was doing before, managing a portfolio of creators and helping mm -hmm. them who are already pretty established on the platform. Mm -hmm. I switched over to the acquisitions team <clears throat> around the time that TikTok was really, really blowing up. Uh, um, and at this point, we didn't have a shorts product, but we knew that there were creators on TikTok that we wanted on YouTube. And my job was to bring as many of those creators over to YouTube as possible. And that was a very easy sell in the way that like these creators know YouTube, they yeah. love YouTube, they've always wanted to be YouTube creators, but it is a very different, it is a very different process creating short form content versus long form content. So right. at that time, that was kind of the 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 sell was trying to get them to create long form content, which is is quite difficult if that's not what you're used to. Right. Um, and then shorts launched as like a beta in 2020. So then it the conversation shifted about making long form to like let's just you know continue making short form on this platform as well. Yeah. So that was it was a pivotal time because I was working out with some of the biggest creators from TikTok and and helping them grow on YouTube and. Um, we, we realized quickly how how influential and and impactful those creators were because of just how large they were in the um, 
in the world at the time, you know? Yes, I do know. If you had talked to me like three months ago, I would not have known. But I do now. I do now. Like I, I, I just, I can't even fathom it, Olivia. It's just, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, when, when you really think about it, like I, I didn't even, you know, a month ago, I, I would have, I never heard the name Mr. Beast, right? <laughs> that name, yeah. that name would have meant nothing to me, right? And, um, and, and, and I'm not. I actually have only seen a couple of his videos, but I guess um, last week he turned down a billion dollars. Someone offered him a billion dollars for his channels or whatever. And um, and then I heard an economist who actually looked at it and was like, um, yeah, that was very smart of him to turn down that billion dollars. His channels are worth about 10 billion. And, oh uh, and I was just like, what? And so it, I, that's just, that's how I kind of like started looking into it a little bit more. Right. You know, and, 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 you know, you realize like when you doom scroll, like uh, these people come up over and over again and you're like, whoa, wait a second. And then you start doing a little bit of research and like Dawson Gurley, who, who is big Dawes TV, you know, and you realize, and I'm like, hold on, you start doing a little bit of research and you're like 10 million subscribers. And it's like, holy cow, like, it's just, it's just nuts. And, and that's, and those are just two in the ecosystem of, you know, millions. And so I guess what I would like to ask you is like, what do you see now as the, someone who's been on the front lines of it, what do you see as the opportunities and um, for us also as exper people, you know, who are teaching um, experience design, um, where do you see opportunities for the department and for our majors coming out into this, this new world of entertainment? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's so, I think like we're just getting started when it comes to the to the creator economy, like there is, I've seen it change drastically in my now. I've been, I think I was at, I've been at YouTube for four years, so just in four years, how much it's changed. I can't even imagine in five years from now how how much more it is going to change. It's just such a fast paced industry, and it is like so. It's hard to wrap your head around the yeah. the numbers of it, the billions of views, and the billions of dollars, and it's like whoa, like. It's it's it really is hard to to wrap your head around, but I think it it's an exciting industry to be in. Like mm. even as I think what's really cool about like the short form world right now is the accessibility to becoming a creator. Even like I would encourage your students to think about like from the beginning of whatever whether it's within their company that they're working for and using social media as a lever to grow their business, or if it's them as an individual who is passionate about something, whether it's cooking or golf or, um, you know, different things that they are passionate about, like having creating content on the side could end up being your full-time job. And I'm seeing that like the, the, the one takeaway I have from working in this industry is like, Ugh, I wish I was a creator. That's like what I could, I could see how, um, how, how many amazing opportunities come their way and they're doing something that they love. And I spend a lot of time with creators and I get to know them and I become friends with them. And it, and it, they're so happy doing what they love. And like that is, so 
I would say it's only getting bigger. It's only getting more like important to have content be a part of your business. So my advice and opportunity is like, get ahead of it. And like, if you're passionate about something, learn how to create short form content about it or long form. But I think short form, there's the the, uh, possibility of like virality and finding an audience quicker, it goes up. So Mm -hmm. I would encourage students to, if they're planning an event, record, like record the whole thing, like vlog your day at it. And and who knows, like it could resonate with people and you could build an audience and that could become a business really quickly. 100%. I love it. That's awesome. And, you know, we've, um, we've opened um, the experience innovation lab. Um, and we need to, we need to have you up. Uh, maybe we can uh, bring you up for a, ge- a guest talk or something like that. Love uh, to. Oh Any- yeah, you you've got to see the new Frost Center. We we just opened a brand new building right next to Baker to the Baker Center. Oh um, okay. Oh, and it's just gorgeous, and we have our first lab in there. Um, we're super excited about it, and um, so yeah, we I would love to have you up to to see that. Um, but it's just it's just amazing all of the potential opportunities and all of the 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 potential you know with experience design and design thinking and you think that that fits right into the creator economy and so i think the sky's the limit for for um for our majors and i'm just uh so impressed with everything that you've done and what you've built for yourself and just uh just uh appreciate you taking the time um, so the last thing I'm going to ask you, um, Olivia, is if you could go back in time uh, to your junior year, uh, what what advice would you give to your junior year self? Oh, my gosh. I, I mean, this kind of goes back to what I was just saying, but knowing what I know now about the business and financial opportunities that there are in the creator economy, it's like I would go back to my junior year self and say, start making content like start capturing your grc (laughs) take grc right did you take uh, graphic communication classes i think i did i think i did so yeah i would take that i was like you all have iphones in your pockets right now like use the like just just get started and even if the first six months you get zero views on anything like i don't know i i've just seen the the possibilities are endless so if that's even an inkling in your mind like I would say go for it and it'll only end up helping you. Like don't, it, it can be a little like scary to put yourself out there like that, but yeah. that's, that's how everyone who's large on YouTube got started and uh, it has paid off extremely well. So that yeah. would be my two cents. Start creating. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You know, it's really funny because I had a, um, uh, I had a student um, who took, uh, it was a, he was a bit, he was a business student who took one of my sport management classes and um, and he came into my office and and this is why I'm really upset about it because I don't, I, I don't remember his name and he only took one class. So I didn't really develop a relationship with him, but he put his resume down in front of me and he was like, I'm wondering if you can give me some advice on this. And I looked at it and I was like, this was four years ago, Olivia. And he, and, and he had 250,000 followers on um on youtube and i was like wow. i was like you have two hundred and fifty thousand followers on youtube and he was like yeah i was like what do you do and he told me and i was like dude you don't need to 
ask me what you need to do with this resume. You need to grow that channel more. And he's like, <laughs> he was like, exactly. really? he was like, really? Do you think I can make a living with that? And I was like, make a living. You can make millions with that. And he was like, really? And I was like, yes. Like, what's wrong with you? Yes. <laughs> and, 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 uh, and, uh, and that's like the only interaction I've ever had with him. And he's probably like, a multi-millionaire now, you know. Oh my god, we need to look him up. That's amazing. I, I have no idea. I have no way of looking him up, but he oh, owes me. He, yeah. he owes me at least a hundred thousand, you know. <laughs> well, that, that was great ad advice for you to give. That's exactly yeah. what I would have said. The yeah. same thing, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, Olivia, thank you so much. I cannot thank you enough. It's so great to catch up with you and and see you. And I love, I love that master's hat. It's so awesome. And, uh, <laughs> And uh, we're we're gonna have to put your 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 picture's gonna have to be with a master's hat for this uh, podcast, so everybody else can Perfect. see it. <laughs> but uh, thank you oh. so much, really appreciate it. Of course, it was such a pleasure. Thank you, and so good to see you. Yeah. Bye. Bye. <laughs>